0: you're listening to It Happened to Me, a rare disease and medical challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is how we adapt. That's the focus of It Happened to Me which wants to help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, co-hosts Kathy Gildenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me, I'm not alone, and neither are you.
1: Welcome. Today, our guest is Dr. Mona Kaleem an associate professor of ophthalmology at Wilmer John Hopkins in North Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Kaleem is also a glaucoma and cataract surgeon. Our discussion today will focus on several areas, glaucoma, diagnosis and treatment, and diagnosis glaucoma, a podcast co-hosted by Dr. Kaleem and SightWise, a project designed by Dr. Kaleem to evaluate eye clinics for accessibility. I also want to disclose that my co-host, Beth Glassman, is both a patient and a big fan of Dr. Kaleem's.
2: Hi, Dr. Kaleem. Glaucoma is an eye disease that affects the optic nerve and is the second leading cause of blindness. The condition robs the patient of peripheral vision. Approximately 70 million people worldwide have glaucoma.
1: So, Dr. Kleem, let's start at the basics. What is glaucoma? Well,
3: thank you so much for having me, Kathy and Beth. First of all, before anything, I wanna commend both of you on starting this podcast. It's a great project. I'm, I'm so happy to listen to future episodes and just really excited for the two of you. And thank you for putting this service out there for so many people who I know are gonna listen and benefit. Um, and in terms of glaucoma, I'm more than happy to share any information, answer any questions. So glaucoma is a condition uh, that affects the optic nerve And there's loss of optic nerve tissue that can generally lead to peripheral vision loss and blurred spots or uh, blind spots, sometimes even in the central vision, but primarily it starts out in the peripheral vision. We know risk factors are things like family history, having an eye pressure that's too high for you, so a pressure that's too high for a a person, um, having a large optic nerve. Uh, Another risk factor is having a thin cornea, And other things like trauma, the use of steroids, there's really a a whole long list of potential other risk factors. But the the primary risk factor we focus on is the optic nerve, the eye pressure, and the family history.
1: Now, are there different types of glaucoma?
3: Sure, there are many different types of glaucoma. Um, Glaucoma, I I like to think about it as, um, I almost think about it like plumbing, So something is blocking the drainage system of the eye and the fluid that's being produced is too much for the eye to drain. So anything that can block the drainage system of the eye or alter how much uh, fluid fluid is being produced in the eye um, on the inside can potentially cause glaucoma. So many people have glaucoma through a, a genetic link, so some kind of a a family history that they've inherited this condition. But other people can get glaucoma from um, the use of certain medications, as I mentioned. Um, Steroids, there are some headache medications that can cause glaucoma, um, trauma. We have lots of patients who have injuries from... You know, I have patients who have like bungee, uh, jumping cord injuries, tennis, or other types of um, racket sports injuries. Uh, if you've had another surgery to the eye, like a retinal detachment surgery, um, even a cornea transplant, there's so many different things that can potentially cause glaucoma. But we know that the uh, top reason for having glaucoma is related to, um,
2: actually, we don't know why, we call it idiopathic. Oh, Dr. Claim, can I ask you something? You mentioned plumbing. And I think that's a very good metaphor. So when you said plumbing, are you speaking of, for instance, a sink that may be plugged up and so that water can't go down the pipe? Is that what you mean by plumbing? Yes. And that actually, that's
3: a good question because it, it helps me to go into the two main classifications of glaucoma, which are the open angle type and the closed angle type. Um, But in both types, there's an issue with the filter. So when open-angle glaucoma, which is um, the majority of cases, the filter of the eye is simply just not functioning well enough. The filter can decrease in um, its function as we age. So that's actually another risk factor that as we age, our general risk of the eye pressure going up and developing glaucoma is higher. Um, and then in the closed angle type of glaucoma, there's an anatomical configuration where the iris, which is the colored part of our eye actually physically obstructs the drain so nothing can can be drained. It's not that the filter is necessarily not filtering as well it's just blocked
1: so interesting and are there different ways of knowing that you might have glaucoma, and how typically is it diagnosed?
3: It's actually very scary for me to tell you that there are very few symptoms of glaucoma. And that really underscores a point um, that I like to get across for everyone who has a family history to get screened. Um, And that as we age, we all get an eye exam that includes dilation and eye pressure check. Um, Not just getting checked for glasses, but, you know, what we call a complete eye exam. Um, I would say that in people who have very severe glaucoma, so um, to a point where the vision loss is irreversible, they may start to notice uh, blurred patches in their eyes or blind spots or um, difficulty with peripheral vision. I'll give you an example. I had a patient who um, had a family history of glaucoma, but didn't know that she had it. She started having all kinds of problems driving, and noticed that she had a hard time switching lanes. And that's what prompted her to get an eye exam. And then, you know, come to find out, after all of this testing, she actually had advanced glaucoma. The vision that she lost was unfortunately irreversible. Um, so it wasn't until late in the game that she noticed anything. And that's very common that that many people don't notice anything at all until they've really lost a lot of vision. And there is um, with the other uh, other type of glaucoma, the angle closure. Some people do get symptoms um, if there's an acute attack of glaucoma. Um, the symptoms would include things like halo vision, uh, severe headache, eye pain, redness of the eye. Um, but it's really not that common. Many people go underdiagnosed
1: or undiagnosed until. Really, too late. Now, what about the optical field test? Is that something that people should be aware of that might be signaling an issue, or will your ophthalmologist just know to check for that? Well, um, if you go to get your eye pressure
3: check, that's usually a, a pretty good way to at least determine whether you're in the normal range. The caveat is that some people can still develop glaucoma even if they're in the quote unquote normal eye pressure range. And so just getting an eye pressure check is not enough. I do recommend that you get a dilated eye exam. And when an optometrist or an ophthalmologist takes a look at your eye, when you're dilated, they'll be able to see what the shape and the size of your optic nerve is. If there are any issues with the optic nerve at that point, I would recommend to get the the testing you're talking about. So the visual field test, which is where we check peripheral vision, and also a photograph of the optic nerve, Um, getting those tests done is not considered part of the standard eye uh, exam.
1: Yeah. Okay. And is there any cure for, or treatment for glaucoma? Another really good question.
3: And I, I want to um, preface this by saying that although there is not a cure for glaucoma right now, um, it is a chronic condition. So the partnership you develop with your provider is going to be a longstanding one. Um, So although there's not a quote-unquote cure, there are ways to stabilize the condition and to control it as much as possible. And in the treatment of glaucoma, our goal is to keep things stable to prevent vision loss, Um, but unfortunately, we can't regain what we've
1: lost. Gotcha. So with these um, regular normal pressure uh, or low-pressure glaucoma, is there anything You can do if the pressure is where you want it, but the vision isn't. So with normal pressure glaucoma, um,
3: what we try to do and when we treat glaucoma is generally we, we try to determine what's a person's baseline eye pressure and what are some ways we can reduce their eye pressure to reduce the risk of progression of the disease, If someone comes in with a normal eye pressure, I'll take a look at that and I'll see, okay, over a a series of months or years, what has their eye pressure been running? And I'll figure out what the highest eye pressure was during that time. And I'll generally try to reduce the pressure by 25 to 30%. And that can be with medications, lasers, or surgery.
1: Okay. And if you're diagnosed with glaucoma, should you seek out a specialist or can your regular ophthalmologist treat you?
3: I do recommend that, that a person who has glaucoma be seen by a glaucoma specialist at least once a year. Um, in the field of glaucoma, we work together with our other partners in ophthalmology and optometry to manage patients. If you have severe glaucoma or you're someone who really only has one good eye, then I, I do think it's a good idea to to try to see your glaucoma specialist um, twice a year, and sometimes even three times a year. The preferred practice patterns from the American Academy of Ophthalmology indicate that someone who um, only has vision in one eye or has severe glaucoma um, do be seen two or three times in a year. But if you just have well-controlled glaucoma, then I think once, possibly twice a year with a glaucoma specialist is appropriate, but at least once a year. So
2: then, Dr. Klein, may I ask you, would you be going to two ophthalmologists then? Would you be going to your glaucoma specialist as well as your ophthalmologist? Or could your glaucoma specialist then take over your other eye-related conditions?
3: I think it really depends on the doctor, the patient, and also your geographic location. Um, I'm based in the Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area. Um, it's not very hard to get to see a glaucoma specialist um, and for them to follow you for pretty much everything. As glaucoma specialists, we are trained in how to do cataracts, how to treat many other eye conditions. We we all do a residency. Um, The specialty of glaucoma is like an additional year of training on top of general ophthalmology. Um, but again, it depends on where you live. If you're in a, remote, in a more remote area, then you might want to consider seeing um, your local optometrist or ophthalmologist for more routine visits, and then perhaps seeing a glaucoma specialist at least once a year. But in any event,
2: see your eye doctor every year.
3: Please. Yes. And I I do recommend probably at least um, twice a year visits because we can't really feel when the eye pressure goes up. And so why not just get checked every six months just to be on the safe side?
2: Sounds like a very good plan.
1: Now, Beth, I know you appeared on Dr. Kaleem's podcast, The um, Diagnosis Glaucoma. Perhaps you want to talk to Dr. Kaleem about the podcast.
2: Yes, uh, Dr. Kaleem. You're the co-host of the podcast, Diagnosis Glaucoma. I was honored to be a guest on your podcast. What is the mission?
3: As someone who is from a family of people who have glaucoma and vision loss from other reasons, I learned very early on that access to information for patients is critical to understanding your condition. It helps with compliance and it generally just helps people to feel more in control of their condition, and I also realize that if you have an issue reading, or you know, with your contrast sensitivity, or you know, there's something that um, doesn't allow you to read books <clears throat> or the the brochures that we uh, put together for patients, that there should actually be more like audio resources. And so I approached um, Dr. Harry Quigley, who's my friend, my partner, um, and my mentor on the podcast um, and here at Johns Hopkins. I approached him about this. I said, you know, there are all of these great books and all of these pamphlets, they're all written in like 12 font times uh Times Roman font. Why don't we have more audio resources? Because people can't all read. They they want to listen, or some people have very busy lives. Um, you know, they're on the go. They Maybe they have a family member that has glaucoma, but they have small children, a busy uh, work life. So when they're on the go, they can listen to information about glaucoma. And that's where the idea came from um, for that podcast. And a lot of the topics that we discuss come directly from patients. We actually had a patient suggestion box on the main campus, and patients would just put in their questions, and we grabbed them from that. And, and that's how we came up with our various topics.
2: Can you give us a, an idea of what the different topics have been on your podcast?
3: Oh, gosh. People have asked many different things. They've asked uh, a lot of questions about what they can do themselves for glaucoma. Because medications, lasers, and surgery, those are things that the doctors recommend. But really, people want to be able to take control of their own disease. They want to know, what can I do? Um, and so a lot of the questions are focused on lifestyle questions, diet um, things related to exercise and how can I manage my life and my functionality? Because those are things that you can do actually on your own without a doctor. You can learn how to, um, you know, organize your home. And Beth, you and I had a great episode where you you described how, you know, you, you function at home and also when you go out. And a lot of listeners really liked that. They learned from what you said. Um, and those are things that when they hear from you, they may not always hear it from the doctor, but they can just kind of go ahead and implement it themselves. I get a lot of questions about nutraceuticals also, which are like dietary supplements. And if there's any role for that in treating glaucoma, um, but really all kinds of questions. And we really appreciate all the feedback from patients.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear your patients are listening and providing the feedback. That's terrific. Um, so Dr. Colleen, you are a very busy person. You're a surgeon, a doctor, a researcher. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about your research project site-wise. I understand you are evaluating eye clinics for accessibility. What do you mean by that?
3: I am so excited about that project. To me, it's something that's like common sense, but, um, it's, it hasn't really been done, um, So for me personally, when I think about research projects, I try to step outside of my shoes as a doctor, and I try to step into the shoes of a patient. SightWise is a project that actually came out of Detroit. Um, uh, Annie Rittering, uh, she is an occupational therapist and a low vision specialist at Henry Ford Hospital, and she and her team at Henry Ford and the Vision Rehab Center um, came up with this survey, which they called SiteWise. And what the survey does is it assesses the clinical spaces, and it asks questions of each of those clinical spaces to determine whether that space is, is up to par with um, the needs of someone who's visually impaired or elderly. Yeah, but it's like common sense. Also, you know, when we design hospitals and eye clinics, we it's like an architect who probably has good vision. And I don't, we don't know what people's health situations are or if they have disabilities or whatever it is, but I don't know that we that they necessarily think like a patient. They think like about symmetry and clean lines and mirrors and glass and making things beautiful. But there's a way to make things beautiful and also be functional. Um, I don't know if anyone here has been to Amsterdam. They do a great job in that country of using color um, you know, like in the metro, really everywhere, it's it's it makes it easier for people who have various conditions, you know, disabilities to manage on their own.
2: What has been the patient feedback of this, Dr. Klaim?
3: Oh, everyone is really excited that I talked to you about this project. It's more of like a quality improvement project. Um, but what we're doing is we're taking that survey that Dr. Rittering created with her group, and we're we're, um, we're currently validating that survey. So we're getting more patient feedback and we're um, surveying our own clinics at Johns Hopkins to see how we're doing and where there are areas of weakness. And then based on the data we collect, we're going to improve our clinics. Now, are there grants available for this? I have applied for some grants. There are a few grants, but it's a quality improvement project. And to be very honest with you, a lot of the big uh, research foundations, they tend to fund more of like the bench research, which is kind of a disadvantage for someone like me um, who's really interested in improving quality. Um, but I am looking for grants and I'm open to having discussions with people who would like to partner with me and, and our group here. Um, to work on this project we would love to be able to um, take this survey to other places it can go primarily primarily we're focused on medical settings right now so not just johns hopkins but we want this to be like a validated um, set of guidelines that someone at x y and z university um, eye clinic or even a private practice can take and try to implement in their, in their office to make it easier for their own patients to, you know, to have accessibility and to function in, in the practice.
2: That sounds like a great idea. And I hope that our listeners are going to take this in. Uh, and maybe we can find some funding for you, Dr. Colleen.
3: That would be great. I'm definitely working hard. I've been putting in grant applications, and it um, it does take time for anyone who's doing research. Um, all researchers knows that it, that it takes uh, some years. But I'm really excited about this project, and you know, no matter what happens, I'm really happy to do it. And it's something that I would do even if I was. Um, you know, no matter what, I'm going to achieve this goal of creating this um, set of guidelines.
2: How lucky we are to have such a dedicated person in you, Dr. Kaleem. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, uh, based on your knowledge as a doctor and a researcher, what suggestions do you have for individuals living with vision loss?
3: Really, it's to empower yourself. Like this, this podcast is called It Happened to Me. It's about kind of moving beyond that, like, yes, it happened to you. It's happening to you, but that's not the end of it. How are you going to overcome this? How are you going to take care of yourself? All of us, whether you can see it on our face or not, have something um, going on with us. So how are you going to elevate yourself? Um, I think the the most important things that I tell everyone are to become your own advocate, ask questions of your providers, and seek resources, This podcast is a great resource for patients. Um, Diagnosis Glaucoma also offers a lot of information, and there are great uh, resources online as well. One of the committees I serve on is the American Glaucoma Society Patient Engagement Subcommittee, and we're actually creating information for patients. A a website that I would like to tell everyone about is hadley.edu. It's really a fantastic website. It's made, I I believe, primarily by patients, and it's for patients. Um, I encourage people also to talk to others and don't be scared about letting people know what's what's going on with you, especially your family. You should discuss uh, your condition with your family so that they
1: can get screened. Excellent. Dr. Kaleem, I, um, I just have to ask another question before closing. This has been incredibly helpful to all of our listeners. And I think the insight that you have, we're lucky to have you on, and and we have to thank you for that. But what advice would you like to share with our audience, um, those who either have glaucoma or have a family history of glaucoma? Is there something they can do they should be doing right now?
3: Well, first of all, definitely go get a screening eye exam. So get your eye pressure exam and also sorry, get your eye pressure exam and, and get your optic nerve taken a look at Um, But also, in addition to that, um, I would say just take care of yourself, you know, exercise, eat the right things, all of those things, uh, you know, they do impact our eyes, our vision. And it's not just glaucoma, there are so many things that can that can impact our vision. Um, So really just take good care of yourself. Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Dr. Kleem. thank you so much for being our guest today on it happened to me. I'm not alone. And neither are you. We have learned so much about glaucoma, and our listeners can find your podcast on diagnosis glaucoma to answer questions that they may have. I wish you good luck on your project site and for anyone out there, this is a very worthy program. Please get on board. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. That's ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact forum on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app, especially Spotify and Apple. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenge community find us. It Happened to Me is created and co-hosted by Kathy Gildenhorn and Beth Glassman. Steve Holstenbach is our media engineer and co-producer. Ashlyn Nanokian is our graphic designer. And I'm Kira Deneen from DNA Today. I'm the marketing lead and co-producer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone and neither are you.